Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It is 7.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. It's a Monday, but so far... No mergers to talk about. No headlines breaking this morning. Kind of a quiet day. Uh, We do know that Japan's line headed for what could be the biggest initial public offering for a tech company this year. There's a report out that the company behind one of Asia's most popular messaging apps wants to go public in Tokyo and New York. Uh, Goal of raising $1 to $2 billion. They'll uh, they'll come out in mid to late July, and they want to raise about half of that in the United States. GE. Boy, they're the laboratory of American management, so you got to pay attention when they say they're rethinking the bedrock tradition of corporate life, the annual raise. GE executives reviewing whether annual updates to compensation are the best response to the achievements and needs of employees. And this, you want to trade on something, here's a, here's a company to watch, New Balance. They may win an almost decade-long marathon of Buy American provision in the defense policy bill the Senate will debate this week could force the Pentagon to purchase the company's sneakers for new military recruits. It's a 1941 law. Requires made-in-the-USA attire for soldiers. No more Nikes and no more vouchers, which is what they give out now. They just have to buy those American sneakers. Now it's time for a look at world of national headlines. Here's John Tuck. All right, uh, Michael and Tom, Tropical Storm Colin gaining speed and strength as it gets ready to strike Florida later today. The maximum sustained winds are near 50 miles an hour with some slow strengthening possible over the next couple of days. A forecast to say the center of Colin expected to approach the coast of the Florida Big Bend area this afternoon or this evening. Eastern Georgia, the coast of the Carolinas, could get up to eight inches of rain uh, through tomorrow. Hillary Clinton goes into Tuesday's California primary, needing just 26 more delegates to clinch the Democratic presidential nomination. At a rally last night in the state, she warned of a contentious campaign, She's not going to point out every single moment that uh, I can. She's she's going to use every single moment she has to say why she believes the Republican nominee should never get anywhere near the White House. Ukraine's intelligence agency, SBU, says it has thwarted a plot to attack soccer's European championships in France. The SBU says it had followed a Frenchman since December and allowed him to purchase machine guns, rocket-propelled grenades, and other weapons before he was arrested on the Ukraine-Polish border. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by a 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm John Tucker, Michael and Tom. Thank you, John. Time now for the Land Rover Parsippany Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with Rob Bushka. Hey, good morning, Mike. Strength for Joe Girardi and the Yankees has been the back end of their bullpen, but it did falter on Sunday as the Yankees blew a one nothing lead despite out-hitting the Orioles 3-1 to at Camden Yards. They allowed a three-run eighth inning. That was your difference in the 3-1 setback. Dylan Batances took the loss. Matt Wieters got the game-winning hit off Aroldis Chapman. Yankees dropped the series, welcoming the Angels tonight. Matt Shoemaker faces Masahiro Tanaka. Mets, who have been shut down offensively several times this year, fell victim to Jose Fernandez and the Marlins. 
one nothing in Miami as Matt Harvey pitched well in a tough luck loss. Gave up a run in seven innings. The problem, Fernandez, a little bit better, though. Seven scoreless, fanned 14. Mets now head to Pittsburgh, and they face Jonathan Neese tonight. Stephen Matz goes for New York. NBA Finals Warriors, they make it look easy. Blasting the Cavaliers 110-77. to They're up 2-0, heading back to Cleveland. And Roland Garros, Novak Djokovic, wins the French Open. It's his first career Grand Slam. That's your ABC Bloomberg Sports Update. Mike? Thank you very much, uh, Rob Bushka. Well, we're watching a market that is uh, not as unhappy about the jobs report as uh, you might have thought. The two-year note yield, though, is still down at 80 basis points. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Michael McKee with Tom Keane. Futures are higher and adding to their gains. S&P futures now up by three points. Dow futures by 34. In Europe, it's about a tenth of a percent gain for the stocks 600. It is time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, investing more than $110 million a year in applied research to solve problems and improve life. Learn more at storiesofinnovation.njit.edu. Here's Bob Moon. Michael, good morning. Here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. They don't need health insurance, they don't take vacations, and they don't get sick. That's how one lawmaker on Capitol Hill explains the next big thing to cost American workers their jobs, the overhaul of the American workplace using more and more robots. Republican Senator Dan Coats of Indiana expects a lot of jobs to become obsolete, as he puts it, faster than anybody realizes. Coates and other lawmakers say it's time to start preparing for technological unemployment. They might want to get started soon. Think self-checkout aisles, driverless vehicles, medical robots, and other automations. Not to worry, says Andrew McAfee, a research scientist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He told Bloomberg BNA, technological progress has been putting people out of work since at least John Henry, but it also opens up new opportunities. And then there's this. Union officials say new airport towers due to go into operation this fall in San Francisco and Las Vegas will first need extensive remodeling to make room for technology that dates back to the early days of air traffic control. They say the prototype electronic system the Federal Aviation Administration plans to use in the towers breaks down too often to be relied upon, so controllers must be able to quickly revert to paper strips. But the towers have no place to put the equipment necessary to use the old system. And that's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Mike and Tom. I am not worried, Bob. I, <laughs> not at all. I, I don't see any way a robot can replace Tom Keat. I mean, he is <laughs> irreplaceable. <laughs> when he speaks. <laughs> we need a robot think, who speaks for him. I think Al from New Jersey just heard that. He's like, well, there's got to be a robot out there somewhere. <laughs> Uh, good morning, Tom. Uh, it is uh, surprisingly uh, good morning in the markets. Um, we're seeing a little bit of a rebound in the bond markets and uh, a little bit of a rebound in the foreign exchange markets. And certainly uh, stocks have not given up the ghost here, even though everybody has decided Fed's gone away. Well, it is. I mean, I mean, there. You know, the the debate over the weekend was stunning, and it leads us to Marshall Sonnenschein. Who joins us now from Marshall? Is it Marshall's Sun and Shine Partners? No, it's Sun and Shine Partners. Sun and Shine. I'm, I'm not that Excuse vainglorious me. that I was Sun with my first name Part- in there. Okay. Sun and Shine Partners. Are you busy? I mean, that's, that's the arch question always. Last year was amazing, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're always busy, Tom, but we're a boutique bank, so we're not really a proxy for the big market. We're, we're just 25 people. So we're, if we weren't busy, we'd, I think we'd be out of business, but yes, we are quite busy right now. 
you're busy, but Wall Street in general, this distortion's got to be killing them. I looked at European spreads, net interest margin spreads over the weekend. They're, they're, they're evaporating. There's no other way to put it. What, what does the street do to extricate itself from the economics they've been handed? Well, I, I don't think the street by itself is a force that can extricate. These, these are very, very deeply embedded problems that I think are really getting played out in the political sphere right now. All of this low-rate phenomenon and low-growth phenomenon, and they are two sides of exactly the same coin, really fundamentally reflect a series of political and economic problems that are deeply embedded in Western democracies today, not just in this country, but also in Europe. What does that mean for the future? Is, is, Is this a secular change? I think we've had, I think we've been in a long-term secular change. Yes, Mike. I think that prior to the financial crisis, what we had was a kind of blend of strange crony capitalism and permissiveness in financial regulation that permitted the uh, factors that led to the financial crisis to take place. And in the aftermath of the financial crisis, what we really did in response to that was to use central banks to drive tremendous levels of capital through the arteries of finance, which are the banks and other financial institutions through first bailouts and then low interest rates and then the purchasing of fixed income securities out of the marketplace, the so-called twist operation that never really ended. Those responses are not normal. They are not long-term sustainable. And Western economies are a little bit like drug addicts now, addicted to this (laughs) stuff. And you can see that play out in Janet Yellen's own comment. She's trying so damned hard. I feel so badly for her. She wants to get the patient off the drug, and she's having trouble doing it. It's a problem. What happens if she just, uh, to keep going with the medical uh, metaphor, if she just rips the Band-Aid off? <laughs> well, at this point, she's going she's gonna to have to do some of that, and at some point you're going to have to bite the bullet. I think that the expectation of, uh, of rate increases is now baked into the uh, stock market, which has been flatlining for a little while now. And I think what she's really trying to accomplish, whether whether she says it this way or not, is a safe landing in the form of a series of little Band-Aid rips. Uh, over the course of 18 or 24 or so months, in which we would see rates gently increase each time tepidly, each time with a lot of kind of, I don't know whether it'll be the next one, it'll be a few months later, we're worried about Brexit, we're worried about weak job reports, we're worried about China, we're worried, we're worried, we're worried, but each time you're going to have to rip a Band-Aid off and see what happens. The heart of the matter, to link your world to the world of our listeners, is the only way people can do growth is to acquire it. Nobody's generating anything but good single-digit growth. Let's come back and talk to Marshall Sonnenshine about this, this idea of linking in his world of mergers and acquisitions with what we're going to see from Mr. Lockhart in an hour and 20 minutes and from Janet Yellen later uh, this morning. Uh, here's what you need to know. A nice recovery to the tape off of the Friday 8.30 joy. Futures up three. Bloomberg surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by SSNC. More experience, superior technology, independence, and expertise. That's how SSNC drives the future of fund administration. SSNC, they are the future of fund administration. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. 
And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit sectorspdrs.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Miners and energy companies rallying with commodities after U.S. jobs data crushed speculation the Federal Reserve would raise interest rates this month. The pound is slumping following polls that showed Britain's favor exiting the European Union. U.S. stock index futures there higher before Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen speaks in Philadelphia. The last scheduled appearance by a central bank official before the next policy meeting concludes on June 15th. And now let's get you up to date on how stocks are faring. S&P E-mini futures up four points this morning. Dow E-mini futures up 40 and NASDAQ E-mini futures up nine. The DAX in Germany is little changed now. Ten-year treasury down 5.30 seconds. They yield 1.71%. NYMEX crude oil up 1.2% or 56 cents to 49.18 a barrel. COMEX gold up two tenths percent or two dollars to 12.44.90 an ounce. The euro, $1.1347. The yen, 107.07. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKeon, I thank you for your comments on Friday. I, I, you know, I guess it was fun, Mike. I mean, I don't know if fun's the right word, but it was amazing to see. It is, you know, Mm -hmm. fun to when you have breaking news like that. And stunning news. Thank you to our guests, particularly on short notice. Bob Sinch on short notice Friday and David Blanchflower of Dartmouth College, Stephen Stanley of Amherst Pierpont. It was good. With us on long notice, Marshall Sonnenshine, as we look at mergers and acquisitions and the linkages here, I guess, into the spirit of what uh, we do. It, it, explain to me the percentage of synergies being taken now in deals. Are corporations carving out more cost savings than before the same? Is there something different about it this time around? Well, I think cost savings are a big driver of the large strategic transactions, uh, Tom. And indeed, even the tax inversion deals that have now, that window is largely shut down, and which is why the Pfizer-Allergan deal is no longer in the marketplace. Even those had a fairly significant amount of cost saving. Now, when it gets out of control, when you think you're going to cut so much cost that you're not actually going to be innovating or investing anymore, you run into a problem. If you overdo it, that's valiant. They did too many acquisitions, cut too many costs. Didn't, in fact, emphatically, they didn't want to invest in a lot of uh, drug drug development programs. I think this stuff uh, has a natural limit. It is a mm-hmm. finite exercise, but uh, cost savings on uh, corporate mergers have always been an important driver. That and revenue growth. What uh, What are our companies telling you now about how how they see? efforts to make money in the future. This is a debate we've been having. We talked about it some on Friday before the jobs numbers came out. Are, are they just looking to do um, to, to buy growth through M&A, or is anybody going to start investing to, to create some organic top line? Well, it, capital investments are down right now, and that is a serious red flag warning signal that you won't see on the cover of lots of newspapers uh, or financial tables, but it is a very, very important statistic. So to Tom's point, some acquisition is in lieu of what could have been direct investment. That's true. Now, I, I think when you look at macro macro trends, I think a lot of companies today have trouble planning. You use the term future. You know, Yogi Berra said the future is the hardest thing to predict, right? Yeah. And M&A, and Tom said, I'm a long-term planned guest as opposed to our friend Robert Singe who came on short notice. He talks about currencies as a short market. M&A is a long market, and maybe there's some, some metaphor there. In order to engage in the acquisition of a company, you have to have a view on the future. M&A is a conviction market. It is a, it is the last stop 
in long-term planning. And right now, the future is the damnedest hardest thing to predict. We have very, very low growth. We are highly addicted in most economies, certainly the United States and Europe, yeah. to very low rates. It's hard to know you, where convi- where opportunity lies. How do you, when you see Bloomberg headlines, which thank you, Wayne, I know you look at Marshall, when you see someone say a deal's accretive in the first year or the yeah. second year, am I right that the reason they can say that is the plug-in of interest rates? A lot of that it if is. if we have normal interest rates... They'd be jawboning, dilutive until blah, blah, blah. Tom, I'm going to go even – yes, you are, but I'm going to go even a step further. Some of what constituted accretion in M&A modeling and financial planning in deals was not cost. It wasn't even cheap, the cost of cheap money. It was the trading value of the stock making the acquisition. Fair. Yes. Interesting. And that's not sustainable. If you have this great rotation that has gone on from fixed income into equities for the simple, plain and simple reason that cash is so cheap, capital is so cheap that you can't make any money in most categories of fixed income, certainly not the safe categories, then you're, you have seen this great rotation into equities. Also, cheap capital for acquirers is cheap for all acquirers who must compete to buy a company. So cheap capital doesn't mean cheap acquisition. All the other players have the same chief capital. And, and what's important here, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Marshall, Mike, what's interesting is on announcement, everybody will jawbone. It's accretive, accretive, accretive. And when they have to adjust that a year out or two years or three years out, there's nobody there to hear the adjustment. Well, I think that's true. Where they go, oops. <laughs> I think that's true. And it's long been the case in our business that – uh, in interviews, CEO roundtable and CFO roundtable interviews, you find that some 40 or 50% of acquirers will tell you that they materially overstated their, their synergies, that they yeah. were not able to achieve yeah. that much. D- do you ever look at somebody's proposal when they come to you for advice and say, no, it's not. I mean, don't do this. You're not going to make money or you're going to have to adjust after a while. Um, is it ever well, that obvious? Yes, but I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret about the M&A business right here and now on Bloomberg Radio. <laughs> Most of what constitutes M&A advisors' work, the, the bread and butter, is actually selling companies. It's not buying companies. Many, many, many large acquirers of companies have assembled a team of ex-M&A bankers in-house to do their own buy-side work so they are – less and less frequently even engaging a buy-side advisor. Look, look at Comcast, for example. They just hired uh, my, my my buddy Bob Etroff from Morgan Stanley. Well, he did the DreamWorks a- animation acquisition, a couple of billion bucks without a banker. Didn't even hire Morgan Stanley's old shop. He could do it. On the sell side, what you're really trying to do, if I have to be entirely honest, is get your client's price so high that the buyer will regret it. <laughs> and how, is there a trick to that? Uh, I mean, it, 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 to putting the lipstick on the pig? Well, hopefully you're not selling a pig. You're selling a good company. Um, and there's different tricks, to, tools of the trade. You Sometimes you run an auction. Not as often as you might think, by the way. All auctions actually are, if they're done correctly, are a series of bilateral negotiations among the participants in the auction, and you're really negotiating with each participant. Um, that's the game within the game. I tell that to my students. I just ta- taught a course in M&A at Harvard Law School, and one of my students asked me, can you lie when you're selling a company? Yeah, that was a wonderful question, right? Yeah. You got that question from a law student. Not a, I normally teach in the business schools, <laughs> right? And I said to him, it's not that you can lie. You can't engage in fraud, but you're an advocate. Can you Can you lie when you're in front of a jury as a lawyer? Well, no, you can't lie. But you have to tell a version of the yeah. truth that might actually achieve in, your client's objective. In the, in the time that we've got left, have you ever seen a unicorn? 
<laughs> I see a lot of companies that get that get valued as unicorns. I've never actually seen Would one. You, I mean, I mean, I will. Uh, I understand that there's got to be a revenue growth or capture of market where you can extrapolate out, and I'll cut Uber some slack. Yeah. But some of these things, where did this massive extrapolation come from? Do we blame guys like you? Uh, I, well, the unicorns are not really guys like me. It's a different category of banker. It's the private placement specialists who are selling equities for uh, for high-growth companies that have big, big, big stories. And listen, some of them are big, big, big flops. Look at what the hell went on with Theranos, where Walgreens, company we represent, we love Walgreens, but they clearly made a mistake. They bought into a unicorn thesis that just wasn't real. Yeah. So it happens. I think you, know, you look at Uber. I, is it worth 60 or $70 billion? I don't know. I mean, there's a few other competitors, Lyft and a few others. On the other hand, who's actually propping up these numbers? It's not just the venture I mean, capitalists I'll go, and Marshall, corporates. I'll go with Mar- uh, Michael Mabusian's basic idea that a few people win and maybe Uber wins or doesn't. I don't have an uh, opinion. I just <clears> – I see an extrapolation into the future that's nowhere – Within the CFA curricula, for folks, let's have a moment of silence for all of those on Saturday who took level one, two, three, and four of the CFA. But come on. I mean, how do you extrapolate these equity returns? And but Tom, many of them haven't turned out. Yes, but Tom, you would have said the same thing, I think, about the Facebook IPO, which was a charade and a disaster and a debacle and a circus and everything else. But, but when the dust settled, out. Know, when the dust settled it really was worth over a hundred billion bucks. I guess I just got put in my place. <laughs> well, no, I gave you Theranos. <laughs> yeah, there's one for one, but uh, two not very equivalent companies. So what are you telling people now uh, about uh, what this this terrible future that you can't predict is <laughs> is going to be? I mean, somebody comes to you and they say, I, I want to do a deal. Um What's well, so the first thing that I think we have to all tell ourselves is Tom's right. We have to get back to basics. The people who actually can take an exam, the Series 1, 2, 3, or 4 of the CFA, who actually know how to value a company, they include people like Warren Buffett who are not dumb, who don't buy into momentums, who don't buy into the flavor du jour, but are instead looking at fundamentals. It is always yeah. better to look at fundamentals no. than to look at the <clears throat> shortest-term trends. I would, I would call it the extrapolation du jour, which is Fair what, enough. I, what I see. It. Yeah. Marshall, we've got to leave it there. Okay. Thank you so much for coming by with Sun and Shine what? Partners, Marshall Sun and Shine. What, what question is it on the, uh, on, the, on the CFA exam where the answer is Tom is right? <laughs> there, there's none. It, 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 in all my case, there was a classic example on indirect and direct cash flow. People, lives were lost across the floor of the Javits Center and that question a number of years ago. Michael McKee and I say good morning to Taylor Riggs, who's taking the rest of the year off after attempting the CFA, Bloomberg Surveillance.